Welcome. This is a wonderful bronze head of Henry Wallace, Secretary of Agriculture and later Vice President under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and frankly, somewhat notorious character in the later 1940s when he ran for president on a third, actually almost a fourth party ticket in 1948. His bust was, his head was created by Joe Davidson in 1942 here in Washington. Sittings for the portrait took place at the Corcoran Gallery of Art, which of course is not far from the White House. Joe Davidson also made a second sculpted portrait of Wallace in 1947. It was begun in 1944, and that portrait done in marble is now in the US Capitol, part of their collection of portraits of vice presidents. This portrait remained in Wallace's family, and it was his family who gave this portrait to the National Portrait Gallery. That's all very conventional, and that's all well and good. Unlike some of my colleagues who I think, and, and certainly rightly, spend much of their time during these face-to-face -face talks speaking about the subject of the portrait. I'm actually going to talk a little bit more tonight about the artist and his connection with the subject, Henry Wallace. They knew each other well, and at a certain point in the 1940s, they both represented a very, very liberal part of society. Um, in essence, I suppose I could say that this is a portrait of a communist by a communist in 1948 terms. Here you all are. Is anybody here because of a deep knowledge of and love for Henry Wallace? Speak up. Because you can help. <laughs> you can perhaps help fill in gaps in my own biographical knowledge of Wallace. Well, I might start by saying that I don't think he was ever a member of the Communist Party. No, he was not. <laughs> so when I say a communist by a communist, I'm doing that for a little bit of shock value because neither Henry Wallace nor Joe Davidson were communists. But in the atmosphere, we're talking just a little before the McCarthy era, in the atmosphere of 1948, both of them were associated loosely with communist sympathies. I actually have here, and I'm going to read from it in a few minutes, one half of Joe Davidson's FBI file. This is half of it. Okay. It took me two years to get it using a FOIA request. It's redacted and huge. That's the, of the artist. Yes, the artist. The file begins in 1944 and continues until the artist's death in 1952. Now, Joe Davidson was a very well-known sculptor in his day. He was so well-known that at a certain point in the 1940s, his face was a clue for a crossword puzzle in the Philadelphia paper. He was well-known by 
other artists, by entertainment figures, journalists. He had a lot of wonderful connections with journalists, which often resulted in front page images of him taking the head of his latest subject. He made portraits of almost, it was, his subjects were sort of a who's who of the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. He sculpted FDR, Einstein, John D. Rockefeller, Mussolini, um, Pershing, other heroes of the First World War. He sculpted Ernie Pyle, Sinclair Lewis, uh, Will Rogers, who called him an old head hunter. He was very well known, and it was his talent that took him so far. He was born in New York on the Lower East Side in the early 1880s, and he ended up at Yale by about 1904. He was in Paris by 1908. He was learning sculpture in Europe, learning how to use his hands to make a likeness, and also learning from French masters how to then follow the process of casting that head into bronze. He also worked in terracotta and in plaster. And if you have time, either tonight, I'm sure we'll have a few minutes after my talk, or another day, please check out the installation called Joe Davidson, Biographer in Bronze, on the second floor on the G Street side of the building, where my colleague, Ellen Miles, has assembled some of the most aesthetically interesting examples of Davidson's work from our collection, which is really very, very large. We have nearly 60 examples of Joe Davidson's work in our collection. This piece represents his interest in a man whose politics he admired. Now, I'm going to jump forward a little bit, and then I'll come back talk a bit more about Henry Wallace. Joe Davidson, in his day, was a leader of many liberal causes. And yet, as a New York Times editorial mentions, and this was published the day after his obituary in the New York Times, a very long obituary, um, the editorial reads thusly. If one names an outstanding character of the Western world between and during the two world wars, the chances are that Joe Davidson did his bust. He did labor leaders and men of great wealth. He did politicians, generals, literary men, left-wingers and right-wingers. In 1948, he outraged conservatives by daring to work for the election of Henry Wallace, who had communist support. Almost immediately thereafter, he outraged the Moscow communists by making a friendly visit to Yugoslavia and doing Marshal Tito's bust. But though Joe Davidson suffered for his political opinions, he frankly expressed, he was no politician and no profound economic philosopher. He was a man who was always fascinated by individuality, but who also loved humanity in the mass. And it goes on and on. Um, another person who I'm sure you've heard of who spoke about Davidson when he died in 1952 was Eric Severide, who also said, Joe Davidson knew an enormous amount about art, about food and wine, about human beings. 
and he knew nothing about politics. So the local Reds and pro-Reds occasionally took advantage of his name and his great warm heart. If he had been politically shrewd, calculating, and careful, he would have saved himself much trouble and his friends some embarrassment, perhaps, but then he wouldn't have been Joe Davidson. The reason these, isn't it wonderful to take things in and out of context? The reason why these statements were being made in Davidson's defense at his death is because for several years, starting in 1944, he was the titular head of a group called the Independent Citizens Committee of the Arts, Sciences, and Professions, which was a, a left-leaning group um, primarily composed of artists and lots of figures from the world of entertainment, Hollywood, Broadway, um, who were against some of Truman's doctrines. And because they needed a leader to look up to, they looked up to Henry Wallace. Now, Wallace came from Iowa. His father was the Secretary of Agriculture. And when Roosevelt came into office, he appointed Henry Wallace, whose family was well known, to be his Secretary of Agriculture in 1933. Wallace served him well. He did a great deal to aid farmers throughout the Depression. And so in 1940, Roosevelt asked Wallace to be his running mate. He served as vice president for four years, again, um, widening his worldview and becoming more interested in foreign policy. Wallace was an intellectual. Some people called him a person who lived in an ivory tower, but he was definitely an intellectual. By 1944, because he was speaking out on foreign policy when he should have been confining himself to the world of a secretary of agriculture, sorry, um, the vice president, by 1944, Roosevelt wanted to have him as his vice president for that term, but others in the Democratic Party did not, and Roosevelt didn't fight and therefore, eventually, Truman became the, um, his running mate. And in the election of 1944, um, Truman, as well as FDR, were elected. Now, in about 1946, Truman fired Wallace because Wallace was speaking, Truman thought, against the administration's policies. He was very interested in Soviet-American cooperation at a time when our country was moving away from Soviet Union. So Wallace had served as vice president. Well, he had a long career in Washington, but he was fired. This fired from his position as, let me get it right, Commerce Secretary, I think. Yeah, was Secretary of Commerce, right? Yeah. It probably would have been FDR because... Right, 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 right. And then Truman took over. Um, let me get it right. Yep, he dismissed him. Let me get it straight. Well, just remember, I'm an art historian. So, that ended Wallace's career. Um, with the Truman administration. So when 1948 came around, he decided to run for president himself. And Joe Davidson's Independent Citizens Committee of the 
artists, scientists, and professions supported Wallace. And Davidson's committee eventually evolved into the Progressive Party, and that's the party that supported Wallace in his run for the presidency. So the two men are linked from the early 1940s through um, the, really the time of, of Davidson's death. Now, this is all Davidson and Wallace from the outside. However, Davidson also knew Wallace simply as a sitter in a portrait. And of course, that's what I'd like to bring you back to is the work of art. I hope I've shed a little bit more light, if not on Wallace, whose career I don't know well, at least on Davidson and Wallace together in history. When Wallace sat for Davidson, Davidson recorded his memories of the sitting. He says, Wallace was shy, almost gauche. At first, he did not give of himself easily, but he looked up at me from time to time. He gave you the feeling of wide open spaces, a clean beauty, and of strong, healthy optimism. He didn't seem to waste his energies in useless words or gestures. And I love this part. As I worked, we got closer and more friendly. The clay seemed to model itself, and I completed the bust in two sittings. However, the artist also noticed that even though Wallace was patient as a sitter, he would sometimes disappear, only to be discovered later digging in Davidson's garden in Pennsylvania. So that love of agriculture followed him. I'd also like for us to look at this piece closely. Please feel free to gather around. I don't know if you've noticed, but he's, Davidson has done something that artists often avoid. He's showing his teeth. He's giving him a sense of speaking, perhaps even smiling. And what I think he's trying to do is to capture the energy of the man, that energy that he loved and admired. Um, we have one other portrait in the collection that really jumps out um, at me, and it's not on view right now, but you can see it on our website, is Thomas Aiken's portrait of the journalist Talcott Williams. And Talcott Williams was called Talk-a-Lot Williams. And in his portrait, he is also portrayed with his mouth open. It's very rare and very hard to do. So I wanted you to take that away. And I, I felt like I needed to let you understand the connection between the men so that you could understand that it probably took that kind of deep knowledge of, from the artist of the sitter to be able to carry off such an unusual expression. Davidson was also a master, as were many sculptors of his time, of knowing just what kind of finish and surface would bring out what he wanted to show about the character of the sitter. Um, if you make it a practice of looking at sculpture, sometimes you'll find that the patina, the finish that the foundry puts on a bronze sculpture is very, um, very solid. But in Davidson's case, it's, um, the patina is often, it has some changeability in the color, and also he takes advantage of um, the texture, too, to tell us something about the sitter. If you do have a chance to look downstairs, you'll find that, for instance, in an earlier 
portrait of Gertrude Vanderbilt Whitney. The surface is very, very smooth. In his portrait of Einstein, which is done in terracotta, it's, it's rough, but not in the same way that this piece is. This piece is, gives you a sense of a weathered complexion. And if you look at photographs of Wallace, you'll see the same thing. And again, there are some in our collection, and a quick trip to our website will bring those up for you. So Davidson was a master of the portrait sculptor's art. In this case, there's, a, uh, I think, a really amazing grasp of um, Wallace's humanity. Other sculptors uh, might not have that, that genius, but Davidson did, and that's what he was known for. And that's why, even at his death, his friends, who, who were many, many, many in Legion, were stepping up and, and saying something about his politics. And by saying that he wasn't political, that he was a, a man of great humanity, but not of politics, they were trying to say Davidson was sort of a, a classic liberal. He loved people. And that informed his portrait art. Thank you. Questions? Um, as I remember, and it may not be correct. Believe me, you're, you, <laughs> you're better. Henry Wallace was a gigantic person. A big, a rangy, big rambling he was person. well over six feet. And as you're speaking, I'm trying to uh, understand myself whether this conveys that. It's not a life-size bust. No. I, I don't know. Does it? Does, does anyone know that he really was immense? I wonder if it, um, if Davidson had been installing this piece in the gallery, would he have put it on a higher pedestal? Would he have changed the lighting? You know, our designers tend to use exactly the same height pedestal for everyone. Um, we do have a big, a big head of um, is it Robert Flaherty. I think so. It's up on the mezzanine. That's a really big piece. But he wasn't necessarily a big person. So I don't know if in making this head, he was trying to convey the whole person, but just the personality, just the face. He did do some full-length figures. He did one of Will Rogers. But um, the few full-lengths that he did tended to be of historical figures, Lincoln's one, Walt Whitman. But for his living sitters, he tended to use exactly this format. So I don't know if that was something he was trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, this is a typical. Had the, uh, had the feeling that this was a big person. I think you're right. I don't, I don't think so. I don't get it. I but I think he's got the, the face. Yes. Uh, you know, this is a, a kind of a typical Joe Davidson mount. I mean, That's I exactly you, right. And I'm wondering. Do you collect Joe Davidson? Well, I just have one. Oh, you have one? Well, that's oh, one more than I have. I forgot to mention. Uh, so. I wonder, because he has this plate with the name, whether this is Joe Davidson's writing or whether it's a signature no, of the it is the It wanted. is the signature okay. of Wallace. Wallace that was what he would do. He would have his subjects inscribe a, a piece of, yeah. of clay, and then he would cast that. And in fact, something that um, is fascinating about some, some of the pieces we have in our collection are plasters that came from Davidson's studio. And these were the plasters that he would use later, would send to the foundry to have um, 
the heads cast from. In those plasters, the signature is built into the plaster, but the foundry that he used knew to make just this piece and insert it into the base. However, we also have in our collection a few casts that were made after Davidson's death by a collector and a foundry that didn't have Davidson's instructions. And those pieces are cast all in a, in a hole without a base. And the signature is, is copied directly from the plaster. So what it tells us is how the artist worked a little bit and how closely he worked with his foundry, which for the most part was the Valsmani foundry just outside Paris.